Hello, everybody. You're probably thinking, hmm, Travis sounds different today. And yes, I'm currently getting over a slight cold from last week, and I'm actually not Travis. My name is Finner, and I'm currently interning with the amazing team here at Fool and Scholar Productions. And I'm here today to tell you about the last city. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. A geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors like Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Torado, and Maury Sterling. You can follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. A big thanks to Wondery for supporting shows like The White Vault. And now, on with the scheduled programming. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following documents and recordings are the fifth installment in a compilation detailing the events of Graham Cousins' return to Svalbard, following the occurrences of Outpost Freestead and Base Camp Piedra. Mr. Kasner was accompanied by fellow specialist Jokana Vikovic, archaeology professor Dr. Josefa Guerrero, and oceanographer Dr. Amelia Murray. Dr. Murray remained in the Alasan while the others continued to the outpost. In the summer months, Arctic cyclones are the foremost type of hazardous weather present in areas across the northern Atlantic, northern Pacific, and North Seas. Capable of developing tumultuous sea conditions, impacting sea ice, dropping heavy precipitation, and resulting in avalanches, these Arctic cyclones can severely impact the lives of local populations. During these storms, travel is not advised. The White Vault Following the previous compilation, Mr. Kasner, Ms. Vukovic, and Dr. Guerrero continued across Svalbard without incident. Their travel occurred parallel to my previous travel. Also, during my previous personal examination of events, my mother and I flew north to the Swedish province of Lapland. After additional overland travel, we arrived at the Swedish site attended to by Valsing and a and my mother's family. The following comes from my personal recording device and picks up where the last recording cut off as I approach the entrance to the Swedish site. Lead the way. Happily. 
We care for our site in a manner very different from the ones you have seen documented so far. Our family and the company has been studying the site for over 70 years now, and we have attempted to modernize our approach over that time. The cords you saw running out the entrance lead to a small group of solar panels and one small mobile wind turbine. We use them to power the lights and equipment as we need them. This is it. This is what they found. Something similar? Yes. It's here. Are they here? The guardians? The statues? Somewhere. Bidar, could you ask Nils Henrik where they are today? Of course. One moment. There are others. What do they do here? Guards? Scientists? Vidar and Nils Henrik are our preservation specialists. You saw Olov down on the path and Jun at the door. Those are our guards. They often patrol the area. Nils Henrik and Vidar, though, are more like site attendants. The others know not to enter the site. But Nils Henrik and Vida are not affected? No. Vida is a member of the family. Not ours, but Hulda's. A second nephew, I believe. Nils Henrik is our... Nils Henrik is your great-aunt's grandson? Some kind of distant cousin for you. A bit of a strange man, but he is dedicated to this place. <laughs> By strange, your mother means fanatic. That's why she avoids speaking with him when possible. But he is very polite? Polite is an understatement. <laughs> the power cycle is on for the duration of your visit. At least for now, but they won't like it for too much longer. So what do you do out here when there's no power? Well, in the summers I read mostly. Luckily the sun stays up long enough to catch up on a lot. <laughs> the foreman are this way today. Please follow me. Nils Henrik is with the first. Thank you, Vidar. Yes, I have to see this. What do you do as a preservation specialist, Vida? Most days I keep the site clean, manage supplies for the upkeep, keep the logs, maintain the equipment, send any additional references the research team requires or requests. What logs? And you don't do the research? We log any standard readings hourly. And if we see any changes, we document them all in real time, as possible. Generally, we're looking for anything that can indicate the beginning of a cycle. We log the movements of the Forminder, where they go, for how long. You see them move? <laughs> no, certainly not. That would be rude. They do not like to be watched. What? So... Oh, wow, this is... The carvings are so intricate here. I always thought these near the entrance were some of the better ones. They make an impact. Think of who carved them. They are so different from the others. They are all a little different, each site. Patriarch, we glad us when we knew that you would visit us. It has been a month. This is Nils Henrik. Nils Henrik, this is my daughter. Jag har sett fram emot att möta dig i många år nu. Du är mindre lik din mor än jag förväntade mig. Men vi är glada att ha dig här och för att leda vår plats och vår familj in i nya generationer. Nils Henrik, detta är inte den syster du tog där. Kommer du ihåg vad vi pratade om? Det här är dottern från England. Ja, jag ber så mycket om ursäkt. Jag hade glömt för ett ögonblick. Men det är ändå en ära. Vi 
he does not speak English, but he is happy to meet you. Ah, here, a statue. Don't touch it! Dear, I told you they do not hurt us. I am so happy to see you are worried for me. It's worse than I imagined. Up close, stone looks so dark. Enticing. They are difficult to appreciate on video or in pictures. Do others feel this way? To me, it feels like looking at my favorite childhood toy at the bottom of a cliff. I want to get to it, no matter the dangers. The stone looks deep. Yes. I remember thinking it was silly people touched them, given how terrifying they wear their faces. But when I saw one for the first time, it made sense. I wanted to reach out, and I did. It won't hurt us, or change us. No. We have the singular joy of being able to connect with them in this way. But we can also never become like them. If ever we wanted to. Not that I wished to, but others have. Skulle du vilja se de andra matriark? Varsågod, den här vägen. Do you want to see the others, dear? Yes. How many do you have here? Most of the time we have seven here. Though they are never all active concurrently. As of today, three remain on site. As the activity in Svalbard has... Uh, Draw the attention of Forminder from other sites, including ours. Seven? Seven of these things could kill hundreds. More. But they don't. And they won't. Not if the cycles are addressed in a timely manner and the sites deactivated. Adina. In here. Find your step, then watch your head. The ceiling dips low for a moment. What is all this equipment? Have you drilled for samples? No. No. We, we do not damage the site. Everything that is hung is hung by stands. We damage nothing and preserve everything. Drilling would be unforgivable. We have brought in several types of environmental testers and additional equipment to help further our research. Here we have a sound level meter. We have one in each chamber and hall. Here, temperature and moisture measurements. Really, very simple. Air pressure. Those are Gauss meters for measuring electromagnetic fields. There are others as well, where needed. In the antechamber, we measure brightness, varieties of electromagnetic radiation, possible harmful radiation, and more. We also measure air composition levels across the internal site for employee safety. Seeing as it is my safety. We still have a lot to learn. We don't know how any of this is possible, only that it is. How do they know it's us? Is it in our blood? Or do they see spirits, souls? Are souls real? I do not know if souls are real. That is another matter for another day. More so if you worry about judgment when all this comes to its end. But, for them, we believe it has to do with our DNA. 
specifically mitochondrial DNA. Our work began back in 1967, but even before the discovery of mtDNA, we knew that the inheritance of the family was only passed from mother to child. Our family is an unbroken maternal lineage, going back further than recorded time. And you and I, we are the eldest daughters of eldest daughters, as far back as when the first of us passed through the light. And this is our inheritance. I had seen so much in so little time. The first chamber we entered into revealed I had been wrong to assume the site would be similar to that in Patagonia. We did not enter into a cave as I had expected, but instead into a narrow crevasse between two rising portions of the mountain. From the outside, it was impossible to tell. The first hall was a natural path through the stones, which widened slightly several meters in as the area had been excavated by hand generations ago to allow for wider passage and inscription of the glyphs. Above, through the narrow natural walls bending nearer above us, sunlight still streamed in, sending light through the moist mist and causing intricate natural waves in the air to contrast the angles of the stone carvings. From there, we descended a flight of stone steps that had been carved from the bedrock. To the left side of the stairs ran a bundle of power cords, down into the areas lacking access to natural light or ventilation. Bright floor lamps illuminated the descending stairwell and the rooms beyond. It felt incomprehensibly worse to enter into those halls than to simply see them in records collected by others. The stone feels as though it ushers you downward. Ms. Vukovic once recounted something similar, that the angles and pull of the halls made walking further into the darkness all the easier. But here it was no longer dark, and I could see the deep contrast of each shadow and the tones of hard stone in bright artificial light, and still it pulled me. The first statue we saw stood alone in an alcove along a hall at the bottom of the stairs. Additional halls branched on either side, adding to the maze-like construction I had examined in the other sites. The statue stood about two meters tall and looked to be carved from the same dark stone as the others, but also now looked entirely dissimilar. Seeing it in person, the reflective surfaces seemed to be all or nothing, a gleam of pure reflected light, a terrible white, or the deepest, most perfect darkness of obsidian, a perfect black and how my mother expressed her desire to reach for it is not unwarranted. I wanted to reach out and touch the surface. It felt like I was in the middle of a routine, and my muscle memory itched to fulfill its task. The statue was of a deer, possibly a reindeer. The hooves were pulled up into itself as though it were resting on the ground, though it stood upright in the carving. The ears and horns had been greatly exaggerated and stylized, using sharp right angles and an impossible density of horns to fill the large black stone. Terrible and phenomenal, like all the others. When we continued walking, I saw each room was outfitted with a crate topped with equipment. Vidar explained that depending on the room, each powered different types of equipment at varying sensitivities and ranges. They appeared to be trying, in earnest, to learn more about the reality behind these occurrences and I came to a quick realization there, 
as we walked towards two towering stone doors that everything I had been trying to compile over the last few months, that I had seen as a gruesome secret and unknowable conspiracy, was all known to them. Now, they were on the next step, and I was far behind. I was already her daughter, and then I felt like a child. We reached the tall stone doors, and my mother nodded to Nils Henrik and Vida. They pushed open the slabs, revealing the anatomical theatre stretching up before us. It differed, again, from the others. In some ways, they all differ. This theatre was cut into the stone walls in large steps, steeper than the others. Before me, several metres ahead, was the empty dais, and the perfectly laid floor of stone boxes. The platforms of the theatre were cut into a horseshoe shape, with smaller steps near the entrance leading up to the higher levels. And further in, past the dais, was a tall, thin doorway leading down into darkness. Ringing around the top of the theatre were intricate designs of bone, from reindeer, whales, hounds and bears too large to have lived and died in the last thousand years. Larger than them all were two thick four-tusk skulls facing each other, one hanging over the far wall and the other directly above me. These had not come from any creature a living person had seen. But the reason Niels Henrik had brought us here was for the statues. One statue rested on either side of the horseshoe, flanking visitors. These were taller and skinnier than the deer. One looked like a hollow man, carved eye sockets sunk too deep and hands so long they wrapped around the squarely hewn head in an expression of anger and agony. The other left me puzzled for a short while until my mother told me it was a fox, standing on its hind legs. The fur was not well defined, but the scowl of its lips and bared fangs were so enlarged and perfectly polished, it was easy to believe they were wet with saliva and waiting to bite. This deep into the sight, the natural light was limited. Above us, we could only see a small slither of sunlight coming in at an angle. To show me the space, Vida and Nils Hemrick had set up portable lights before my arrival. I had not moved from the doorway where my mother called me over to sit next to her on the lowermost step of the anatomical theatre. Her action was casual, like sitting on a park bench. The following recording is a continuation of the previous file. The site worker Nils Henrik had left the anatomical theatre before this time. Sit down, take as long as you need. The altar is empty. Yes. We are not in a cycle. There is no need for it. Those? Gomphotherium, a predecessor of modern elephants. Up here? Yes. The stones on the floor. What do you expect? teeth and a heart in each one. We knew this for generations. We don't smash them open to find out. How many? Of the boxes. Yes. I forget. Vida, how many of them are there here? Our central dais court contains 5,210. And how many people are killed every cycle? Between four to seven. 
And cycles at this site happen on average every... Seven to nine years. Over 7,000 years? It's been going on for this long? Longer. Much further. You know that. The archaeologists in Patagonia, they said it was earlier too. So when do you think it all started? You, uh, the family, must have more information. In the 80s, members of families from across the world flew to Cairo for a meeting. My mother was still the head of the family at the time, but she told me about it a few years later. How many are there? Sites? Families? How many we know there to be? Well, 14. But we do believe there are more. Not many, but maybe three or four. Not all the families made contact during more modern times. So how do you know they're out there? Because sometimes things happen at our sites in reaction to events at others. They are all connected. And if all the known sites are not the reason for an event, we believe it is the result of activity at an undocumented site. And families? As far as documented history can tell us, there was one family per site for thousands of years. This is just the unbroken matriarchal line. There were, of course, others adding to the gene pool. One of the African sites, as well as the Nepal site, confirmed oral histories of multiple main matrilineal lines for several generations, until one ultimately overtook the other. Also, one family was eradicated by means of violence, but another family splintered to take its place. Twin sisters. A real blessing. I thought we were protected. We are, but it does not stop an army. What did the meeting in Cairo determine? About the age of our work. The furthest the family heads could manage to agree on, as an outermost bound, was the Toba eruption some 74,000 years ago. Should I continue? Yes, I just... I'm trying to think of how you could have come to that conclusion. Not all history is written, and even what is written is bias. But one of the many amazing outcomes of that meeting in Cairo was a collection of photos, rubbings, drawings, sketches, writings and descriptions from all our known sites. Glyphs at multiple sites across continents and oceans depicted a similar story of a volcanic eruption. There is no way to know a volcano across the world has erupted, so they must have known before. What? Before our parting. The parting is what we call the event that split us millennia ago, though even we don't know all the details. But for now, we have a furthest possible bound. Toba, a catastrophic event. The Toba eruption is thought to have devastated the human population at the time, a genetic bottlenecking. That is contested, but we think it was more than a catastrophe. We think it was a warning of what could happen if we stop. Det var inte meningen att överraska er. Jag har förberett fika för er båda i det främre rummet. He apologizes 
and there is coffee and refreshments in the front hall. Wonderful. I need a coffee. We aren't done. I have more questions. I didn't think we were, but we can talk over Fika. Coffee and cake. Yes, I know Fika. But you eat here. For hundreds of years, we lived here, so yes. We eat here, sleep, laugh, work, and shit here. We preserve this site because it has a history. Not just of death, but of life. Art, and stories, and our family. How old were you when you first came here? Too young to remember. My mother tells me I would not stop crying the whole car ride. But when I first saw a statue, I calmed and slept. It was before I knew what it all meant. You said we found out on our own when we were older. We do. Like I said, I was too young to remember. There was no harm in bringing me at such an age. So when did you really learn about this? How did you deal with it? I did not take it well. For me, it was a matter of love, not morality. I had always known my family held a secret, and I expected the worst. But what tore me apart was having to lose those who meant so much to me. Here, please, take your seat. Do you have any proof that Toba was a warning? Have other catastrophes been tied to site activities? Are they always volcanic events? Hmm. No, yes, and no. How do you expect me to have proof of something from over 70,000 years ago? But I can tell you of more modern examples, and you can draw your own conclusions. Please, have something to eat. I'll eat as you talk. Yes, good. In 1667, the village outside of a site in the Caucasus that housed the local family was burned to the ground. The family left two members at the site to watch over it, as the village and the family left to either relocate or collect needed supplies. While they were gone, the site activated. Deactivating the cycle was delayed several weeks, and we documented reactive disturbances here in our site. And then an earthquake struck near the city of Samaxi in modern-day Azerbaijan, killing an estimated 80,000 people. More? In 1927, we received confirmation from the local family that the site in Gansu, China, was active. As part of their own attempts to study the sites, they left it to wait, and our site here reacted in turn. A known occurrence. Not long after, an earthquake struck the province, killing nearly 50,000. In 1944, one of the two sites in the Patagonian mountain range became active. It had not been active since 1931, and they had never had issues providing for their site when needed. This time, the family head was attempting to introduce the newest generation to the site, and the young daughters of the active head failed to deliver on time. 
their delay resulted in the 1944 San Juan earthquake. 10,000 people dead until the Fermintero were given their intended targets. All earthquakes? No. Also in China, during the 14th century, the Yellow River flooded several times. We believe, based on stories collected and reported through the local family, that several of these floods, which killed thousands, were due to the recent uprooting of their local family and an unstable connection to their site. And this year, Eyjafjallajökull, we believe, a volcanic eruption, not an earthquake. Other famous natural disasters? Krakatoa, Pompeii? Not as far as I know. Sometimes the earth must let out some steam on its own volition. The A.F. Fiddler-Jurkuk eruption had no casualties. That's right. What good fortune. Vidar, can you plocka fram inspelningen från dagen då förrummet aktiverade? Naturligtvis. Tillbaka om ett ögonblick. Will it get worse? I'm not here to lie to you. So, all I can say is that I do not know. This cycle has activated more sites to compensate for the failures on Svalbard. Even more so now that a site was so severely damaged. Two sites awoke to compensate for Svalbard. Three sites awoke when that explosion went off in Patagonia. What was one active site has spiralled into six sites, all of which could grow worse still. The Forminther are frustrated, tired and lashing out. Four deaths have turned into fourteen so far, and counting, just at sites alone. And this does not account for the casualties outside of sites, in towns, villages, homes or vessels at sea. Like the people hurt in El Calafate, or what happened to that woman I sent the artefact to? Yes. When I told your sister, I was telling her about the future. I wanted to give her time to accept the new circumstances, and time to learn more before she had to be an active part of this world. I am sorry that even after all these years of trying to keep you away from all this, that I cannot do the same for you. This is not the future we are talking about. It is today. All of this can end. You have a choice. You can tell Graham Kasner to walk through the door in the antechamber to end this cycle. Or tell him to leave or fight back and in doing so extend the violent reactions of the life within this planet and cause needless, avoidable deaths. Wait. Within? This concludes the fifth set of documents and recordings into my personal examination of events and completes this section regarding my initial examination of the vault site in Sweden. The following recording comes from the body camera of Mr. Kasner at the point of their arrival at Outpost Freestad. Is this it? It must be! 
She wouldn't stop anywhere else. We're here. Leave the keys with the snowmobiles. If we need to run, and they're still around, we'll need them quickly. I don't expect they'll be driving off, anyways. If we're lucky, they won't just leave us with the metal pulp. Can we go inside? One moment. This way. They covered it up. What up? The, the damage? The scratch marks are gone. What about the other damage? Come on. It's unlocked? Common out here. The handles are made to prevent animal entries. But buildings are left unlocked in case someone arrives in need of shelter. Completely clean. It's nice in here. As far as cold feather stations go, this is top notch. Aquí no es donde sucedió. Aquí es donde esperaba. Graham, are you okay? Someone came here and cleaned it up. The rot, the damage, the blood. Very little of the collected evidence made it to the media. We can still tell them the truth. New concrete. Graham, the output still needs to operate as intended for its public-facing research. I'll check the radio. No. No, I'll check the radio. Go check the other rooms. Okay. and all you found in me was the camera. Until you found the gifts on the altar. Graham! They're upset, but Graham. we can still fix this. Graham! Shit! Dragana. Sorry. Anything on the radio? Can you reach Lori? You know, back at the weather station? No. Nothing from anywhere outside this place. Every channel is either them, a chant I heard last time, or empty. They can control it, or at least interfere with it. Why leave a channel empty? It's not empty. It's waiting. Mr. Kasner was correct in thinking that everything at the outpost had been fixed. The marks on the bunker's exterior were nowhere to be seen, and the state of Outpost Freestead's interior had greatly improved since the original team's last visual recording. Conversations held later on with additional representatives of Seizure Group informed us that Outpost Freestead had been repaired and refitted earlier that spring. Following the loss of the repair team and the subsequent rescue team, they never released any information regarding the state of the outpost before the team's repairs. 
This concludes the fifth set of documents and recordings from the team's return to Svalbard and completes this section of information regarding their arrival at Outpost Freestone. The White Vault Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.